back to another episode of Fund Views Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Pops. Today's guest is prominent investor Jim Rogers. Jim co-founded the famous Quantum Fund with George Soros and returned over 4,200% to investors in a 10-year period. In comparison, the S&P index returned just north of 47% in that same period from 1970 to 1980. Jim is an avid traveler, having broken world records for traveling around the world on a motorcycle and almost 10 years later in a custom Mercedes with his wife. He founded the Rogers International Commodities Index in 1998 and has written over half a dozen books. Needless to say, Jim is an extraordinarily interesting guy with many crazy, wonderful stories. I hope you enjoy listening. Jim, thank you for joining me on the FunViews podcast. Really excited to have you on. First question, what pulled you into finance and investing? Oh, Greg. Well, when I was at university, I was like many other young boys, young men. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to go to medical school, law school, business school. I had no clue. And I happened to have a summer job on Wall Street. And the reason I took it was because I liked the guy. I didn't know anything about Wall Street. I knew it was in New York. I knew something bad happened in 1929. I didn't know there was a difference in stocks and bonds. I thought, you know, stocks and bonds, that's what they do. But I went there and fell in love because I couldn't believe they would pay me to know what was going on in the world and be on top. And that's what I loved. That was my my passion. I didn't know enough at the time to really know that or, or articulate it. But, oh, my gosh. So I didn't go to law school or medical school or business school. I went to Wall Street as soon as I could and had fun. Great. So that first position, that was at Dominic and Dominic, I think? Yep. Summer job at Dominic and Dominic, which was a very old (laughs) white shoe firm, but it was a lot of fun for me. That's great. And what was it like at the time? What was the environment like as, you know, on Wall Street back then? Well, I know it's going to shock you, but a big day on the New York Stock Exchange was 3 million shares in those days. (laughs) A whole day of trading, you know, now they do three yeah. before breakfast, before the markets even open all over the world. So, no, it was a much different place. Uh, there was not, no electronics, obviously, nothing. There was no computer, yeah. no Internet, none of that sort of stuff. Even, let's see, at the end of the 60s, things were so active, they had to close the exchange one day a week to catch up. I mean, I must have <laughs> had 10 million shares or something. I mean, whatever it was. <laughs> And nothing was electronic, nothing was automated. It's not the same place. I mean, everybody, you know, was Ivy League educated, wealthy, somewhat wealthy, at least aristocratic, or thought they were. Uh, it was a very different place. Yeah, and, and it more like a true market, right? Because you had people in the pits, you know, yelling, screaming at each other. It's a definitely a different... Uh, you definitely had the floor of the stock exchange. There's no question yeah. about that. You know, I don't, most of the floors around the world have disappeared now. Nearly everything is on the computer, and all of them will be on the computer eventually. Got it. So what happened next after you left Dominic and Dominic? Well, before too much longer, uh, I had really fallen in love with the whole business. Um, I did have one spat where I lost everything. But first, I had a period where I tripled my money in like five months when everybody else is going broke. So I thought I was smart. Well, few months later, I'd lost everything. <laughs> I wasn't as smart <laughs> as I thought I was. Taught me a good lesson. But uh, another guy and I, you know, in those days, there were very few hedge funds, maybe three or four. Well, there were very few, I should say, maybe more than that. But 
by yeah. 1970, when we started ours, there were only three or four left. So we started a hedge fund. And the most efficient way to manage money or to make money is the hedge fund format. So we started mm-hmm. one and, and we were international investors, very few. In those days, most people only invested on the New York Stock Exchange. But here we were investing all over the world, currencies, commodities, bonds, selling short. We were doing all sorts of things because we love the whole the whole game. That's great. So that that fund, that was the quantum fund? Yes. You started? Yeah, with George Soros? Yes. Your ex-partner. So you had a great run up in the 70s and 80s, obviously, with, with the quantum fund. Well, not the 80s. I, I left in 1980. I had Got made it. a little bit of money and I wanted to have different lives. That was always an important goal for me to have different lives, different experiences. And so I left after I made a little money. Got it. Got it. And and so what'd you do next after you left? I think you like to travel a little bit, right? Well, my goal, Greg, was to go around the world on a motorcycle. Now, this is a little bit absurd in 1980. <laughs> do anything on a motorcycle, especially go around the world. You know, there was a Soviet Union. There was the Cold War. There was Red China. This was an wow. absurd Absurd thought, much, but I want, very much wanted to do it. Uh, I set out. Uh, I did motorcycle through Central Europe behind the Iron Curtain. I did some of those things. But in, to make a long story short, I eventually got permission from the Chinese and the Russians, the Soviets, and off I went. I went around the world, which was what I'd wanted to do a long time. That's great. Obviously, you went through, what was that, 100, over 100 countries and, and over 100,000 miles. Certainly over 100,000 miles, yeah. You know, how many countries? Well, Soviet Union was one country then. Uh, now it's now it's 15. So how many? How do you define it? Yugoslavia was one country then. Now it's six. So it depends <laughs> on how you, how you count them. Very true. What was your favorite experience on that trip? What was the one thing that stands out to you as the most memorable? It doesn't have to be the, the best or the worst, but something that, that really stands out. Staying alive. <laughs> Most, many people say they want to go around the world. Many, a few set out. Very few make it. Uh, many get killed trying to go around the world. So for me, making it every day was exhilarating. You know, when I lived in New York, when I went out the front door, it didn't matter whether I went left or right or straight ahead. I more or less knew what was going to happen to me. But going around mm-hmm. the world on a motorcycle, but you have no clue what's yeah. going to happen to you five minutes from now. So that was, yeah. it was always a sensory feast, a lot of fun, always exhilarating. Great. So after you got back from your, from your trip, did you see the world differently? Did it, did it really change who you are, do you think? Well, it, it had to. I mean, how can, yeah. you, how can you spend two years going or seeing the whole world on a motorcycle and crossing <laughs> borders and being held captive? I was held captive a time or two. You know, oh, wow. no, no, no. It, was, uh, it has to... You ha- if, if you don't learn anything, if you don't change, you probably shouldn't have done it. True, true. So after you got back, what was the next uh, next on your list of tasks, things that you wanted to accomplish? Well, I just started doing TV shows. I had done a couple of TV shows before I left, but I started doing more because I it, at that time, TV was fairly new for the investment world, for the financial world. And it was it was a lot of fun. I liked it, but what I was really working f- toward was to go around the world again at the mm-hmm. turn of the millennium. The woman I went with on the first time 
really. I mean, she made it and she had fun but and learned, but she really, it, her heart was not in it like it was in mine. And it just made me want more. And I realized the turn of the millennium was coming up. So I wanted to do it again, longer, be yeah. more at the turn of the millennium. Nobody had ever been around the world at the turn of the millennium. Or if they had, they hadn't, they hadn't documented it. So I was started working towards going around the world at the turn of the millennium. Great. So I was reading last night a little bit more of, of one of your books, and, and I felt it was a very heartwarming story where things came together um, when, when you met your current wife before the second trip was um, extremely interesting where, where you sort of went on a date and then asked her on the, what was it, the first date that you asked her if she wanted to go around the world? Yep, I did. Uh, I'm not sure why I asked her because I hadn't talked a whole lot about it. At <laughs> and a uh, poor woman knocked over her glass of wine and said, yes. <laughs> she didn't know what she was saying. She didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah. She had no clue. But she said, Just, yes. And here we she are. She was ready for an adventure, right? She thought she was. And here we <laughs> are. 20 odd years later, still married, got a couple of kids. That's great. So on that second trip, outside of obviously the company you kept, you didn't take a motorcycle you um took a very customized mercedes what was different other than those those two things Did the world completely change in the meantime oh no of course of course the first time i went around the world you know you could barely use credit cards anywhere in the world uh we were always smuggling money across borders etc <laughs> but the the berlin wall had fallen People were getting rid of communism. Nobody wanted to be a communist. If they did want to be a socialist, even, they wanted to be a rich socialist. No, the world had changed a whole lot. You could use credit cards in much of the world. You could get cash advances. I mean, the world had opened up a great deal. Uh, and that was just in, in 10 years after the Berlin Wall fell. So there were a lot of differences. And there was the Internet, of course, which did not exist the first time. Yeah, existed, but not it was it was rudimentary the first time. Yeah, yeah, it was a concept more than anything, right? And then yeah. the second yeah. time, you actually created a website, right, and a, and a video blog, sort of. Yep. Yeah. It's very interesting and very exciting and great stories. Uh, I, I definitely um, look forward to reading the rest of the book. Tell me about why you created the um, Rogers International Commodity Index. There's got to be a story there. What what kind of spurred you to start that? Well, as I told you before, I, I when we went, always we always invested in everything, including commodities yeah. and bonds and currencies. And I came to the realization, partly on that first trip, I saw the whole world opening up so much that the commodities, which had been in a bear market for a long time, were turning around, would, would be turning around. There were plenty of signs I saw on the first trip, including the rise of China, the opening up of China, and the boom there with a billion, 300 million people. So I realized that commodities would be entering a bull market. So I knew I would not be able to actively manage commodities driving around the world. So I, I realized that the best way often, nearly always, for any investor to invest in anything is to invest in an index. Well, there was no decent commodity index, so I had to form or create a commodities index, which I did, and set up a way to invest because I, I thought that the bull market in commodities was about to start, and lo and behold, it did. So I started a commodities index. It was for my own money. You know, I wasn't doing this for somebody else. I wanted to make sure it was a good index. Yeah. So 
off, off I went and with the commodity index and I put money into it and off I went around the world. So it's something really that, that you saw a need for it, obviously for your own benefit, but at the same time you said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'll just do it, you know, and, and set it up and let other people invest alongside you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to put my money in it, but it, for it to be viable, somebody had to somebody had to do it. You don't do much <laughs> yeah. next for fund, but somebody has to. Someone has day, to. Somebody has to turn the computer on every yeah. day. Yeah. So, so we set up a little fund, and off we went. Off I went, and people stayed in Chicago and and did the rest. Great. Years later, you're retired, I, I suppose, but you're never sort of completely retired. What's keeping you busy these days? Well, Greg, I haven't had a job since I was 37. So, <laughs> no, I, I probably couldn't get it. If I could get a job, I couldn't keep a job. Say, Why don't you ever come to work? Where is that guy? Who is that guy? So, you know, I couldn't get a job or, or much less keep a job. Uh, I've been doing a lot of things. I, I travel. I make speeches. I'm on some boards of directors. I do media at times. I, here I am on a you know, a new podcast. I, I went and had, I never wanted to have children before. I thought mm-hmm. children were a horrible waste of time <laughs> and energy. I was never, I felt so sorry for my friends who had children. I was never going to do something stupid like that. <laughs> but I had a child and I found out I was wrong about children. It's fabulous. I mean, if you do it at the right time, it's fabulous. So, no, I've been doing a lot. Well, and then I also moved to Asia because I had been telling people for 25 years or so that you better, if you have children, you better teach them Mandarin because China is going to be the next great country in the world. And so, oh my gosh, then I had a child. What do I do now? So (laughs) to make a long story short, we moved to Asia so that she would have to speak good Mandarin and she would know Asia because in her lifetime, Asia is going to be the place to be. Doesn't have to mean you have to live in Asia, but you, the more you know about Asia, absolutely. the better you're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I read a really interesting, and I, I thought it was a really great quote by you um, the other day as well. It was it was something like the smart people in 1807 moved to was it London? In 1807, smart people moved to London. In 1907, smart people moved to New York. In 2007, smart people moved to Asia because I moved yeah. to Asia yeah. in 2007. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a, a, a really interesting quote, and it, it makes you think about the world a little bit. And, uh, you know, the the cycles, you know, we think of cycles, I, I feel like these days as not even, it used to be five, 10 years. And now it's like, okay, what's happening in the next four months? Everyone's sort of in this little micro bubble of time that we live in. And, and they're not, you know, when you take a step back and look at the larger picture, I feel like, you know, sometimes uh, you forget to do that. But well, one thing that, I have learned, uh, whether it's from university or travel or whatever, that no matter what we think is the situation now, yeah, 15 years from now, it's not going to be accurate. You yeah. pick any year in history, Greg, 1900, everything that people knew in 1900 was wrong in 1915. Everything yeah. people knew in 1920 was wrong in 1935. Pick any year. Uh, yeah. So whatever we think is right right now is going to change. I assure you, the one thing that is permanent is change. Yeah, I feel. I feel like when I was younger, I thought 
you know, if someone said what's going to happen in the year 2020, I thought flying cars and, you know, futuristic, you know, like the Jetsons sort of thing. <laughs> no one really thought, you know, obviously the pandemic would happen, but no one even thought that we would be in almost the same place that we were, but radically different in some ways. That's going to continue. As I said, everything we think we know now, throw it out the window because in 2035, it's going to be entirely different. Absolutely. When you go around the world and you're seeing you're seeing all these markets that are, you know, starting up or, or as, as you're going, you're seeing pockets of, you know, where people didn't want to invest, where you saw value. Is, is there anywhere like that today? Oh, yeah. There's always some places like that. There are always places that are hated and ignored. Venezuela right now, totally hated. I mean, I went there. There's nothing I, I cannot invest in Venezuela because I'm a citizen yeah. of the land of the free. You know, we're not so free in the land. <laughs> but if you, if you can invest in Venezuela, you might think about it. No, there are plenty of places that are total disasters. Zimbabwe is a disaster. You know, Zimbabwe used to be a great or successful country. It was ruined, but now it's a disaster. I have learned that if you get involved with a disaster, you're probably going to be okay in a few years. Uh, if you have the staying power. So I, know, I always, I mean, North Korea, I mean, there's nothing I can do in North Korea. First of all, it's yeah. illegal for America. And second, there's no market. But there's always some place where there are opportunities. Agriculture, I mean, agriculture does a, is a disaster right now. Agriculture has been terrible for 30 or 40 years. Oh, there are plenty of opportunities. On the agriculture bit, there's, there's a lot of innovations happening in, in that space. What, what do you think of, you know, vertical farming and, and aquaponic farmings and, and, and lab-grown meats and things like that. Do you think it's, you know, obviously we're, it's never going to replace agriculture completely, but do you think it's going to change the way that we view food and delivery? Back to what I said to you before, Greg, the one constant is change. That's yeah. the only thing that is permanent is, is change. Yes, of course, it, it's going to change dramatically, uh, but we're going to need somebody to do the farming, uh, whether it's somebody mm -hmm. telling the computer what to do or the robot what to do. Somebody has to be making some decisions and operating everything and making judgments. So there are going to be plenty of opportunities in agriculture, whether it's the new kinds of agriculture, such as yeah. meatless meat, fine, whatever it is, <laughs> there's going to be opportunities for somebody. Great, great. What do you do now during during the COVID? What are you, in, in Singapore, is it all on lockdown still, or are you able to go out? And well, Singapore has opened up some. Oh, Singapore is yeah. one of those countries that really closed down a lot. In my view, the people who closed down made terrible mistakes, and we'll know in three or four years who was right and who was wrong. But, you know, Sweden didn't close for a minute, and they have come out less bad, badly off than other places. So some places didn't all of the, the panic in the, in the media and, and the press and have opened up. And Singapore is opening up now. But Singapore, you know, we closed for a while, couldn't travel. The airport is still yeah. empty. If you go out to the airport, there's nobody there. I, so I have not been anywhere for several months because I couldn't. There was no, first of all, there's no place to go. Second, yeah. if there were a place to go, I couldn't get there. So, no, I, I haven't. You can't I, do much when you do get there, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but so far, no. I mean. No, I lost some weight. I did a, a few things. I've been having, yeah. I've been somehow keeping busy. That's good. That's good. I feel like a lot of people are in that in in that uh, scenario. They're they're locked inside and finding other ways to to keep busy. And 
and, and the world goes around and it'll open up at some point and, and back to normal, I feel. You've obviously been investing in, in markets all over and, and commodities and, and currencies and stocks and bonds. Have, have you ever invested in true different types of niche alternatives or, or do you, do you store, sort of stick with the big markets as opposed to you know private equity, companies, venture capital, that sort of stuff? Rarely, because I always like to think I'm liquid, but certainly yeah. you know, I've done a lot of things in my day, but I mainly prefer liquid listed listed somewhere yeah. items so that I, I think I can sell whether I can or not. Yeah. I like to think I can. Yeah. yeah. And it provides uh, more volatility, right? Which could, you know, in your case with your investment philosophy, could be a better entry point and a better exit point. Well, sure. I mean, right now there are things that have been smashed, like anything to do with travel or tourism or transportation killed. So there it leads to opportunities which you might not have otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. So here's a interesting question, and you might have to think a little bit on this one. But w- what's the one thing you wish you could change in the world you know, <laughs> well, today? Probably the most absurd <laughs> thing that throughout history has been war. I mean, nobody's ever won a war. People think they win wars, but no, wars are now. We've always had them and we always will. But I cannot think of, you know, all wars destroy huge amounts of lives, capital, everything, opportunities. No, I would, I would, if I could figure out a way to abolish wars, I would. But, Greg, remember, Thousands of philosophers and religious people and military people and political many people have been trying to figure out ways to end wars for centuries. So far, nobody's pulled it off. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a difficult one. With you know, basic human nature, people are people argue, people fight, and unfortunately, but hopefully, um, hopefully, there's much less of them in in the future. Well, always through any time you could have said that. But remember, yeah. they've always happened, and they always yeah. will happen. I, I wish yeah. I could. I wish I could say change that. You ask what I would like to change. That's what I would like to change. Yeah. Here's another one. If if you could go back and give any bit of advice to yourself at any point in your life, what would it be, and when would you want that advice? Well, I would have when I was uh, when I finished was senior in college. I, I wound up going to Wall Street, which was great, and I went to graduate school. But I would have what I should have done is go to Asia. Should have gone to China if I'd really been smart in his yeah. sixties. That would have been difficult. I probably would have had to go to Taiwan or Hong Kong or someplace. But if I had really been smart when I finished when I was free, I would yeah. have gone. Asia and gone into the investment world rather than to New York. Now, I had a great time in New York, a fabulous success, a huge success, always exhilaration. Mm -hmm. But still, if I'd gone to Asia, I'd probably be really rich now. Yeah, that's interesting that, you know, out of everything that went well in New York and went well for you, you still think that that would have been that would have been a game changer. Well, I know it would have been. Yeah. in the 60s, when I went to, to Wall Street and graduate school and things, China was a backwater, a disaster. Mao Zedong was having the, you know, the cultural revolution. It was slaughtering people. No, it was a nightmare, horrible nightmare. One of the poorest yeah. places in the world, et cetera, et cetera. But had I gone to Asia, first of all, I would speak 
perfect Mandarin by now. I would know a lot more about it. And I would have been the first one at the stock exchange, wherever the stock exchange was, Hong Kong, Taiwan, wherever it was then. And I would probably have had a better, uh, even better success than I had in America. Don't think I didn't have a lot of fun. Don't think it wasn't (laughs) successful. I'm just saying it probably would have been even more so. You know, there was a saying in the 19th century in New York, what you should do is go west, young man. Well, the yeah. people who went west had even better successes. Lots of great success in America, but the yeah. people who went out to the frontiers and to places like California had an even better success. Absolutely. Have you looked into any investments in the Caribbean? I, I've noticed that the Jamaican Stock Exchange has really been booming in the past five years for the most part. Is there? Have you, have you ever looked there? Yeah, there was a time, gosh, it must be 40 years ago by now, when I was trying to buy in Jamaica. There was a a boom happened then, too. I I never got around to it. But no, I have certainly looked. But remember, there are not that many markets. Cuba's a communist nation. They don't have a a market anymore. There are not that many markets down in that part of the world. Yeah, I feel feel like Jamaica has has the biggest market in in, in the Caribbean nations, right, for the most part. I, I don't know. I, I, so. accurate, but I, I haven't really stopped and taken a close look. I, I could, yeah. but it, it's certainly Jamaica probably is the one. Yeah. So what else do you see going on in the world today? Where, where do you see pockets of value and, you know? Well, there are places like Russia's hated. Uh, Russia yep. has been a disaster. I, I bought more Russian shares recently. Uh, I wish I could invest in North Korea. We talked about some of those places. Yep places before. Uh, Japan, the Bank of Japan prints huge amounts of money every day and puts them in stocks, ETFs, bonds. Uh, I mean, I bought some Japanese ETFs recently. Japanese market is down 40% from its all-time high. Well, the, the Japanese central bank has a lot more money than I do. If he's going to buy ETFs every day, I should own <laughs> Japanese ETFs too. You know, thing, I, I'm not racing out to put money into the U.S. The U.S. is at an all-time or near its all-time high. Mm-hmm. And as I said, Japan is down 40%, 50%. China is down 40 or 50%. I bought Chinese wine stocks recently. You know, people stopped going to the restaurants, stopped going to the bars. So anything, yeah. that kind of life was smashed a lot. So there are, I hope there are opportunities around always. Great. Chinese wine stocks, that's, that's really interesting. I'm sure most people don't know that there are Chinese wine stocks, <laughs> uh, which is exactly wonderful. when everybody knows there are Chinese wine stocks, I'll probably have to sell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're probably not wrong there. How's your family holding up through all this? Are your daughters with you in Singapore or are they? Well, the 12 year old is, uh, she's, she's here. The, the 17 year old wanted to go to boarding school. So she's off at boarding school in England and having a fabulous time. I mean, it's Great. turned out to be an unbelievably, I was against it, but I obviously let her do it. Uh, it turned out to be an unbelievably successful decision. I'm still shocked at how successful it has been. Uh, no, we're all, we're all holding, holding body and soul together. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Is there any, anything else you want to, talk about and, and and put out there for people to, to hear? Uh, the main thing I, that I would like for people to know, six months ago, if we were here, I would be saying to you that the U.S. is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, and that's going to mm-hmm. cause problems. 
Greg, now, oh my gosh, the debt has skyrocketed in the U.S. Before yeah. the virus, we were the largest debtor nation in the world, and now we're much worse. So things are going to get really bad. It's a good time to be old in America, young. You're young. My kids are young. America's <laughs> yeah. probably not a good, wise decision in 2020 because when we come out of all of this, uh, the next bear market, people are going to look around and say, where did all this debt come from? How do we get, what are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. You know, other countries that have gotten themselves in this situation have realized this is almost impossible to get out of without a crisis or a semi-crisis. 2008, we had a bear market because of too much debt. Oh, Greg, since 2008, <laughs> debt everywhere has sky, even China now has debt. And China mm -hmm. had little, virtually no debt 20 years ago. So there's debt everywhere. The next bear market is going to be a, a nightmare. It's going to be the worst in my lifetime and the worst in your lifetime, too, obviously. Yeah. So people should be very careful. People should maybe, maybe what people should do is watch Fund View. If they get educated, <laughs> once they get educated, they, they will probably get worried. And if they get worried, they will probably start preparing because a lot of people are not going to make it. I, who knows if I make it? I hope I make it through the, the next nightmare. But a lot of people won't. So everybody better be worried and better start getting prepared. That makes sense. Well, thanks very much for being on the podcast, Jim. I really appreciate the time and uh, taking the time out of your day to to speak with me and, and the, the listeners, I'm sure, appreciate it as well. And we can all learn from uh, from some some more of your stories, including uh, I was told um, by a good friend of mine that you had a good story about Woodstock. So we'll we'll have to. If you know what Woodstock is? You weren't even born. <laughs> I've heard I've heard of it. <laughs> well, Woodstock was a, a staggering situation. I mean, uh, it was you know the late sixties, and the guys said we're going to have a, a what would you call a concert. You know, yep. they sold a few thousand tickets and lo and behold, over a half a million people showed up for a concert where they had 15,000 <laughs> seats reserved. They tore down the fences. They had to, you know, yep. free concert, stop selling tickets. I went up on my motorcycle. I I heard about I was working on Wall Street, but I said, got on my motorcycle and headed up and, <laughs> and had to go around police blockades, which I could do because I was on a, on a motorcycle, you know take back roads to go through people's yards, rode up to the stage, uh, parked at the stage, crawled under the fence. <laughs> there were, I mean, everything was chaos then. There were security jackets that were designed to, so I put on a security jacket, became <laughs> security, you know, crawled up on the stage and spent the, Woods, the Woodstock concert on the stage. They were feeding me. I don't know if Janice, Joplin, <laughs> I mean, they were all there. Jimi Hendrix, everybody was there, all the great names of the time. Uh, I had a wonderful time. And when it was over, I got on my motorcycle, went home. Didn't have any problem getting home because I was on a motorcycle. Cars were, you might be stuck there for days. I remember going to work on Wall Street the next day because it was major media event by that time. <laughs> yeah. Everybody says, well, where were you? I said, well, I went to Woodstock. And they said, what? <laughs> what? You were there? Are you crazy? Why would you do something like that? But anyway, it was a fabulous. It was one of the. It was a great, great, great time. Sorry you weren't there. 
Yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe the next time, maybe the next one. I'll. Uh, or, although it's a different different music scene these days, and you know, I've been recently recently rediscovering actually a lot of Jimi Hendrix's stuff. Nowadays, it's all the electronic festivals and things, and now they're even doing like Zoom festivals where they're broadcasting them. So you know, right? Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, I wasn't there. I assure you, it's not the same thing. I'm over the field and see half a million people <laughs> sitting there smoking marijuana, drinking yeah. water, whatever yeah. they're doing. You know, it's not, it can never I'm be, sure. no matter how much Zoom you put together. I, I like to think that we, you know, we can get back to something like that and have maybe for a charity event. And, you know, Live Aid was another one that was, that was a historic event, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if, uh, if it ever gets back to that. Well, never, I, I don't think there would be another Woodstock because it was just pure chaos. It happened spontaneously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even Live Aid, you know, was organized and stayed organized. They had a lot of people. But, yep. you know, the, the chaos of, of, of Woodstock was, was magic looking back on it. If it gets bad enough in the next bear market, I feel like people will, uh, people will find outlets, right? And music's an outlet, so maybe that'll happen. Who knows? Well... <laughs> Yes, but if again, it's going to be, if I'm right, it's going to be so very, very bad that we may have, it may be more riots in the streets, more violence, at least in the yeah. United States. And it's not quite, I don't think it's all going to be, we're all going to go down to Central Park and sing and dance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I hope we would do that, but maybe in other countries. But One of those things where you hope you're wrong, right? Well, I certainly would like to say it's not going to be the worst uh, bear market in my lifetime, but I don't see how. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to bring fear. Yeah. Well, I am trying to bring fear because people need to know. But, Greg, as I said, in, in 2008, we had huge debts and big problems. Since then, the debt everywhere has gone up by many times. So it's the yeah. next one. And we've always had bear markets and we always will. The next one's going to have to be. Ah, horrendous. Be worried. Be worried. I am. I am. Good. You know, I get, I, I see people, you know, talking to me about Tesla and they're buying Tesla calls, you know, long dated Tesla calls. And I'm like, I, you know, it's their first, first stock bond security, anything they've ever bought in their life. And they, and they buy a, a Tesla call uncovered <laughs> with, their yeah. life savings. You know, everybody it's... has to do things their own way, and everybody has to make their own decisions, and everybody yeah. has to learn yeah. the hard. Well, way. like you, you said, you said you lost everything at a certain point in time, right? And, and so I guess they're yeah. I I, I sort of got lucky. I have my own kind of story like that. That I'll t I'll tell you actually. It, I, I had a friend, and this is kind of what got me into stock trading. Was you know, in a way, I was in college, started studying economics, and I had a friend of mine that trades penny stocks in Canada and mining shares and various companies and after a few months of you know watching listening talking with them you know I, I ended up buying into a company it was a lithium mining company in canada i bought shares at five cents i held it for eight months or so and uh it went from five to six to four to five and then you know eight months later it was up at eight and a half wow and and so i was like oh that's a great return you know, I, I got, I felt so smart. Like I knew exactly, you know, what's going on and how to make money. And so what happened was I, the money I used to buy those shares was actually part of my student loans. <laughs> and so I, I ended up near the end of the school year, I needed that money. 
And so I said, okay, well, time to sell. And I got lucky because I made, you know, a couple thousand dollars profit and would use that money to go on a vacation. You know, three or four months later, I would have held, I would have kept holding because I, I believe in the company that much. Three or four months later, the company went to zero. <laughs> Been there. So, you know, what, what that taught me, luckily, without losing all my money was it taught me that, uh, you know, you can think you're smart, but things are always going to happen and, and you have to manage risk appropriately. And, and I got, I, I feel like I got extremely lucky in that, in that case that, you know, I didn't lose everything. I was able to see the risks without, you know, feeling, you know, that, that real loss. Cause uh, when you feel a loss like that, and I have felt losses since like that, and it's, it's not fun. Well, Greg, there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. There's nothing wrong with losing money. But if you learn, I do advise people to make the mistakes and lose money when they're young. It's better yeah. to do it when you're 30 than when you're 60. So yeah. Yeah. You know, do it and learn from it. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jim. I really appreciate being on the podcast and, and joining me today. It's been, a, it's been an utmost pleasure. My pleasure, Greg. Let's do it again sometime. Good luck with your new podcast. Thank you. Thank you.